Father, thank you for this time together in worship. We thank you that your presence is here. Your presence is powerful and it's life-changing. Lord, we need you right now. We're asking that you would move, that you would move powerfully. Be with us as we open the scriptures today. I pray that you would encourage us and that you would draw us into deeper relationship with you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. High Point Church, welcome this morning. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. It's great to be here with you uh, online. Uh, we're going to get into the message here in just a moment. Before we do, I want to continue some of our, our worship uh, as it pertains to giving and as it pertains to uh, the offering. Uh, we've just had worship with music, and now I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to worship with the material possessions that God has given us and blessed us with. Uh, historically speaking, we've seen the church be uh, the kind of people who rise up, especially in moments like the ones that we're in globally, in moments of crisis, in moments of panic and, and anxiety and discouragement. Uh, the church has been uh, the, a stabilizing move of people, passionate about the things of God, who make a difference with the possessions that they have. We see in Acts, the early church literally pooling all of their possessions for the sake of, of ministering to those in need. And it was part of their worship. It's part of their weekly worship. And so today, I want to invite you to do the exact same thing. All the information for giving online uh, is found at highpointatl.church. Uh, and uh, you can also give by texting uh, HP info to 97,000. Let's be the kind of church that rises up in this occasion and makes a difference and worships through our giving. Amen. Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Now, Jesus, just so you know, as we get a little context, he's been preaching and teaching all over the place. He's been ministering to crowds. Uh, loads of crowds, right? People aren't, they can't get enough of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is turning away the poster sales. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, Jesus is at the height of popularity right now. He's healing people who have leprosy. He's healing people who have fevers. Uh, he's, he's multiplying food. I mean, with a snap of a finger, he's performing miracles. He's driving out demons, those who are possessed. He's doing the impossible right now, and people love it. They can't get enough. But Jesus is tired. Jesus is tired. And so he tells his disciples to, to get into a boat and let's row across the Sea of Galilee. This is going to give me a minute to catch my breath. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles wide. 13 miles wide. And so they get in this boat and they begin to row. And this is where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Verse 24, suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Storms are sudden, aren't they? They come upon your life suddenly. You get the phone call, the phone call that you dread and, 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 and something has happened and there's an immediate storm that it, that's hitting your heart. There, 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 there's something, you know, all of a sudden your body starts to, to feel different or you notice something and, and panic ensues and fear has gripped your heart. A storm has become, has, 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 has started to brew. 
Storms come with, with speed. They come quickly. Disciples didn't get into the boat. Somehow already nervous, many of these guys were fishermen. They got into the boat with absolute, just a, a sense of calm and, and, and experience would have, would have encouraged them as they're getting ready to literally row across the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus decided to take a nap, it wasn't like people were, were looking at Jesus and thinking to themselves, man, I don't know. I don't think he should do it. You know, things are, things are a little rough out here. No, it would have been the exact opposite. They probably would have been encouraging Jesus to take a load off. Go on down below the boat. Relax. We got this. We can take care of things. We, we've got the experience here, Jesus. Take your sandals off and enjoy a good rest. And then suddenly a storm hits. Suddenly the winds start to change. Suddenly the water begins to crash into the boat. See, the Sea of Galilee is sandwiched around a little mountain range, and the, the, the cool air of the mountains would come and mix with the humid air over the Sea of Galilee. It would whip things up into a, into a violent storm from time to time. And in this particular occasion, this storm came suddenly. And you and I can identify with this because the storms that you face and I face also come upon us suddenly as well. When we look at the landscape globally right now, who would have predicted where we are? Who? Who could have, who could have said, this is what, this is how church is going to look in eight weeks? It, no one. No one could have predicted it. The storm came suddenly. Second thing that's important to note about the account of Jesus facing this storm with his disciples is this. The storm caused a questioning of God's character. Look at, look at Mark. Look how Mark writes of this same event in verse 38. Mark 4, 38. The Bible says that Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And isn't this again how fear works in the sense that panic gets a hold of your heart and all of the sudden, instead of just looking and handling the situation that we have, we begin to doubt the very character and goodness and kindness of God. The disciples are waking Jesus up and instead of just saying, hey, Jesus, there's, there's some waves crashing here. The wind has whipped up. Uh, would, would you mind coming up here and, and kind of maybe giving some instruction or, or providing some help right now? We could really use some extra hands to help bail some water out of this ship right now. Instead, the disciples move it a step further. Don't you even care that we're drowning? And you can see what's happening here is that fear has gone beyond simply tending to the situation at hand. And instead, now God's very character is on the line. There have been times in my own life where this is very much how I felt in my relationship with God. You're not moving, God, the way that I thought you were going to. You're not moving at the speed that I thought you were going to. In fact, it kind of feels like you're sleeping on the job right now. Don't you even care? Don't you care about what I'm going through? My son, one of my, one of my sons came into my room this past week. Uh, you know, everybody was asleep. It was the middle of the night. We, my wife and I weren't asleep yet, but for the kids, it was the middle of the night. 
and he came in and he wanted to talk about a story, a memory that he had from years ago that was causing him fear in this particular moment. We, we had, we'd been on the beach at, at one point for like a spring break trip and I had rented a jet ski and he and I were, we, we were on the jet ski and we were having a blast, right? And we rented it, we paid for it, we zipped around on the waves, the waves are choppy and we, we spend our 30 minutes out there and we return it and all was great. And I've never heard a moment since, except how fun this moment was, except for this past week. My son comes into my room and he says, Dad, what would have happened if I had fallen off the jet ski? Dad, have, did you think about this? What would have happened to me? Dad, aren't there sharks in the water? Did you even consider the fact that there are sharks in the ocean? And Dad, what were you going to do? Do you even care about me? I'm in here trying to sleep, Dad. What kind of man are you that you would be laying in your bed, not wrestling with the realities of what you put me through several years ago on the back of a jet ski, or in his case, on the front of the jet ski? And we laugh about it now. And we, we had a you know, nice little joking banter in the middle of the night talking about, you know, the fact that I had thought through this and that all the safety precautions were here and that dad was actually trying to help produce some things in, in his life, et cetera, et cetera. And there was actually a lot of thought to this. But in the moment, even as he reflected on it, he didn't see that and he didn't know that. Certainly not in the very present moment either. And this is what we do when it comes to our own relationship with God, especially as it pertains to things that we're going through, if it's painful and if it's hard and if it's difficult, not only is it that in the moment, but we begin to, out of the pain of our heart, we begin to, to assess the character of God. God, did you like even think about this? Like, what's your plan here, God? I feel like this kind of got, this got past you. I feel like this storm surprised you. Do you have my best interests at heart? Is there a purpose here? Is there a plan here? And we don't ask out of curiosity. We ask from a place of criticism. We ask out of a place of, of yes, desperation. But there's a, there's a disposition even in the questioning that somehow God doesn't have our best interests at heart. That he's missed it. Observation number three, as we look at the story of Jesus facing the storm in the Sea of Galilee. Back to verse 24, chapter 8 of Matthew. Suddenly, the Bible says a furious storm came upon the lake. Now, this is an interesting word. The word is furious. Not only do our storms come suddenly, not only do we many times begin to examine God's character in this and we make judgments about who God is, but also the storms that hit us oftentimes feel like they are furious storms. And I don't mean the kind of fury that, that like you're furious with a child or your neighbor or you're angry. The word here for furious is the word seismos in the Greek. 
You might be familiar with the word seismologist or seismograph, right, which are used to measure earthquakes. And the word seismos itself means a quake, a trembling eruption of earth and sky. When Matthew used the word seismos, uh, he, he used it to describe a quaking, an earth shaking that took place. And he used it in only three places. He used it when Jesus died on the cross. And in this moment, the Bible says that there was a great earthquake and the, 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 the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And a centurion heard it, saw it, felt it. And he literally out of his own mouth said, surely this man was the son of God. There was a shaking felt as Jesus defeated sin on the cross. Matthew used seismos again uh, as he describes the resurrection. And the Bible says that an angel descended from heaven and began to roll the, the, the stone away, the tomb open. And when he did so, there was a shaking, an earthquake that took place. Once again, a shaking felt in the earth. And then as Jesus stands up and he silences the fury of this storm. See, the storm itself was the quaking and the storm itself was the shaking. And Jesus brought it to a standstill. So we see this word being used three times and it helps us understand the magnitude of what these men were feeling in this boat. Matthew used this word to describe Jesus defeating sin on the cross. He used this word to, to describe Jesus defeating death in the tomb. And he used this word in its description with Jesus defeating fear on the water. What a moment. The question that many of us have as we hear this, Andy, great observations. I love that you're telling me about this story, but what does this mean to me? How does this pertain to my own life? It's actually a great question and one that we should all wrestle with as we are reading the scriptures and hopefully as we're prayerful right now. We all want answers and we want things to do. And if you're watching and you're a Westerner, many of us uh, have grown up with just this idea that there's always something we can do. It's like there's a, you know, I can, I can take inventory here. Uh, I can put together a three-step plan. I can execute this. I, I, can, I can do something. Tell me what to do and I'll do it and then I'll have peace. We love transaction. We love to simply be able to stick a few quarters in the slot machine, pull the lever, and we have what, we, what, what we've been seeking. But it doesn't quite look that way in this story. It doesn't quite look that way or feel that way in our lives either. Those of you who are in the middle of a storm right now know that this is true. And for those of you who've come out on the other side of life storms, you know it's true also. I want you to hear this. I believe that God is sovereignly working right now around the world. I really believe that. And that doesn't minimize the pain that you're feeling or the hardship that you're in. 
But I believe the same purposes that God brought about in the midst of this storm are the same purposes that God would bring about in our own country and in our own personal lives, literally around the world. See, there was nothing that the disciples could do. They were helpless in their situation. What were they going to do? How were they possibly going to, to make the wind stop blowing? How are they going to make the, the waves stop crashing into the boat? It's literally impossible. There's nothing they can do. They're helpless. The only position that they are left in is literally asking Jesus to move, seeking him. And you'll notice Jesus waited until the disciples came and literally sought him. And in the same way, there is a stripping away of so many things that we have idolized in our country right now. Maybe in our own lives. And hear me, there's a place for them. We all need money. We need relationships. We need to go and experience sports and events and, and community. Those are good things. But I think we can all agree that, that at times we've elevated those things beyond where they're supposed to be. They've literally become gods at times in our own life. And Jesus has stripped much away right now. And the only thing that we are able to do is cry out to him and ask him for help. Now, don't hear me saying that, that God in his infinite wisdom is sitting in heaven and he decided to, to, to release his judgment upon our country through the coronavirus. I don't believe that. The brokenness of sin has tremendous repercussions throughout the world and in our lives. But even in the midst of great difficulty, God still will bring about his purposes. And I believe there are purposes at work right now in the midst of your life. Even if you're watching, if you've made it this far, I believe that God is working in your life right now. I want you to hear that, and I want you to know that. See, in this boat with Jesus, there were, there were accountants, there were tax collectors, there were experienced fishermen. There were people involved in the political system. There were people who were highly religious. There were businessmen. There was wealthy people, intelligent people, poor people, and none of their abilities, none of their position, none of their accomplishments could help them right now. The only thing they could do was turn to Jesus. And I believe the same call is being issued to you and to me right now. Turn to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Ask Jesus to save you. It's interesting when the gospel was preached after Jesus after Jesus rose from the grave and after Pentecost, we see the disciples beginning to preach. And as they preach, many, the Bible says, are cut to the heart. In other words, they realize that they haven't been following Jesus. In fact, it was their sin that crucified this Lord and this Savior. And the response that they have is, Lord, is what must we do to be saved? I imagine the disciples are asking the, the same question in this boat. Jesus, wake up. 
What are we going to do? What must we do to be saved? They would have been asking a different kind of salvific question, but make no mistake about it. Jesus, we need your help. We need your miraculous power. We need your intervention. Without you, all hope is lost. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. That hope is alive, but we must turn to him in this hour. This is a moment, church, if you're watching. This is a moment for those of you who have not put your faith in Christ. This is a moment to turn to Jesus, if not for the first time, to turn back to him, to repent, to put your faith in him and begin to follow him as Lord and Savior. He is the only one who has the ability to give you peace. He is the only one who is the true king. And he's the only one who can stand up in the middle of the boat in the storm in your life and tell the conditions swirling around it to be quiet, to be silent, to rebuke those waves and to rebuke those winds. Only Jesus can do that. Verse 26, Matthew writes like this. He says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. Jesus stood up and he rebuked the winds. He, he told them to be quiet and they were. What are you afraid of, Jesus asks. And I think that's the question for you and I this morning. What is it that we are afraid of? Don't, don't hear Jesus is correcting his disciples as if somehow they're in sin because they're afraid of something. You can't hide, you can't run from the fact that there are going to be moments or things that happen that, that cause fear. That's an emotion, and at times it's a good emotion. It's a healthy emotion. But there's a difference between feeling fear and giving in to fear in our heart and being gripped by it and being run over by it and beginning to lose sleep over it and having no peace in our heart and our soul. What is it that you are afraid of on the other side of the world as you're watching this? What are you afraid of on the other side of the United States as you're, as you're watching this right now? What are you afraid of? on the other side of Atlanta right now. What's keeping you up right now? Fear, while none of us want it, there is a measure of instruction that fear can provide us in that we can learn areas in our own heart where we need to grow in trust of Jesus Christ, our Savior. My kids, when, if they ever see something you know, kind of scary or frightening, it's interesting if we're sitting on the couch and we're, we're watching something, something maybe comes on, or even in a cartoon, it's kind of, you know, it's a nervous scene. You know what they do? They get up, they get, <laughs> they get up off the couch and they run over to where dad is. Oftentimes they have a blanket and they'll put it over their head or they'll bury their head, you know, in dad or they'll get behind dad. We've already mentioned it this, this, in, in, in the teaching this morning, but we are helpless in some of these situations. And even right now, as a virus has spread around the world, you need to hear, we are helpless in, this, in eradicating this virus. We need a miracle of God. 
And what that looks like in this moment is, yes, praying and yes, seeking him. But, but there's also a measure of God. We need you to silence the storm that we cannot silence. And that means getting behind Jesus. Imagine somebody who has an umbrella. What is it that you do when it's raining and the wind is whipping? Well, you get under the, the shelter that that person is providing. Jesus is described as our great refuge. Run to him. In this moment, there are storms brewing, there are winds blowing, there's rain coming down and the waves are crashing in. Get off the couch, so to speak, and get behind Jesus. Turn to him, follow him, give your life to him. Stop putting it off, stop putting it to the side. Acknowledge who Jesus is. What kind of man is this? Even the waves submit to him. Even the, the, the wind and the rain submits to him. This is the Jesus that we serve. He is the king of kings and he is the prince of peace. He is the storm breaker in your life and in our country and on this planet. And it is time for for us to get in line, get behind him, repent, turn, and follow him. That is the call upon our life right now. And if you are watching and you have never done that, this, I believe, is your moment. I believe God is calling loudly to people right now. People who are desperate for a move of God. People who've been in the boat and the conditions have gotten great. And for the first time, maybe in a long time or, or even ever, you're acknowledging that you can't do anything about this. And you need someone who has power that you don't have to deal with your situation. Today's your day. You may be watching from your bedroom. You may be watching from your kitchen or your couch. You may be watching on TV. It doesn't matter how big the storm is or how small the storm is. The reality is that all of us are in the same place in our great need for Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. And truly is the one who is the Prince of Peace, our great King. If you're watching right now and you know that Jesus, you've never accepted him in your heart as Lord and Savior, but you feel just the lights going off in your heart and you want to put your faith in Jesus, here's one of the ways it can look. I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray these words even out loud, right where you're sitting, right where you're standing. It doesn't matter where you are. Pray, Jesus, thank you that you are Lord and Savior. I believe that you rose. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again on the third day. And today I put my faith in you and I choose to follow you. Amen. Congratulations if that's you. And if you're sitting here or standing here or however it is that you're watching this and you, you feel the Holy Spirit knocking on the heart, your heart, and there's a returning that needs to happen, this is your moment as well. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you haven't given up on me. I thank you that you haven't quit on me. I thank you that you are my peace right now in my moment of need. I turn to you right now. I thank you that you are my great Savior and that you love me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for being my great Savior. Amen. I realize that right now some of you are facing physical needs. You're facing emotional needs. 
And we don't want to make light of that at all. I want to encourage you first and foremost to begin praying about those and asking God to help you. At giving, literally giving those things to him and asking for him to do what only he can do. Cast your cares upon him. The Bible also talks about us helping share each other's burden as well. And so I want to invite you to fill out a communication card and let us know how we can stand with you, how we can be praying with you, how we can be of help to you at this time. This is a moment for the church to rise up and be the church like never before. Excited to worship with you today. Excited to stand with you today. Excited to pray with you today. And excited, we're excited to experience God's peace together with you today. He is our great King. He is our great Savior. And He is the great storm breaker in our lives. Who is this man? He's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the one who calms the waves and stills the waters. Amen? Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for worshiping with us. We look forward to celebrating with you next week on Easter Sunday. Have a great week.